If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn me this morning to Joshua chapter 9. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 16. And I say this too this morning. I don't believe it's any accident that Madison's last Sunday would be with us here and right here at Auld's Chapel. Uh, I've said this before, and I don't say it uh, to just be saying it or to build you up falsely or anything like that, but I'm telling you, I'm proud to be a part of y'all's church and be able to minister to you guys. Y'all are family, whether you like it or not. You can go out in the community and say we don't know him or whatever, but you're family to me, amen? And we're glad to be here, and I am thank God for providentially allowing us to be together our last time to worship as a family for the next several months right here with you guys. Joshua chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 16 the title of the message this morning is Making Peace with the Enemy. Making Peace with the Enemy. Uh, before I read this passage, I want to kind of give you a little background so you'll understand what we're reading today. Uh, this particular passage we're going to be reading, of course, we know the Israelites, God had promised them the promised land. They were going in and conquering, and, and man, they were going in and, and having great victory and, and taking the land that God had promised them. They were defeating the enemy. And so you'll see as we begin to read first this morning, there are several... Gigasites and Hagasites and Hivites, everything else, and that's not what they're called, but they all got, got that at the end anyway. They all come together in a coalition, and they're going to come against the Israelites, but there's one that sets aside, that kind of pulls aside, and they're the ones I want to focus in on today, the Gimeonites, who come in with the intention of deceiving the Israelites and kind of get into a covenant with them so that they're not overtaken by the Israelites because God was doing crazy miracles overcoming armies like crazy and everything else as they are going in and taking the land. And so that's kind of where we're going to pick up today. And the reason this is so important to us and something that's really just been, I guess the last several years made evident to me and is something that's just bothers me so bad is I believe the church as a whole, the church of the living God right now, we are making peace with the enemy in so many ways. And I know I don't have to repeat this, but you know that there are churches today that are condoning sin after sin after sin. We've got folks that are open homosexuals preaching in the pulpit today, and, and the church just sits back and they're okay with it. There's so many folks in the church now that accept things that we know is sin. We, a lot of times we'll say this, I don't understand how something that used to be sin ain't sin anymore. Well, don't say that. Say this right here. They are condoning things that are clearly called sin by God himself. God's not changing, amen? The culture around us is changing rapidly and crazy, but listen, we still have to stand on God's word, and man, we're watching right now the church make peace with the enemy in so many ways, and I believe that we've got to stand guard and make certain that we don't get caught up in it and making peace with the enemy. So today, Joshua chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 16, the scripture says this, Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and on all the coasts of the great sea towards Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Havite, the Jebusite, heard of it, that they gathered themselves together. This is the ones I was talking about kind of come together in a sort of a coalition and plans to overtake the Israelites, together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that, what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily. Now these are the ones I want us to focus on. They're the ones that the enemy uses to come in and have a peace treaty, if you will, a covenant, an oath with the Israelites, uh, really just coming in deceptively. And I'm kind of preaching part of the message when I keep using that word. But verse 4 says this, They also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys 
and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provisions was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Havites, Perhaps you are living within our land. Now then shall we make, or how then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordans, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to, the, to Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashereth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants. Now then, make a covenant with us. This is our bread that was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins, which we filled with new, were new, and behold, they are torn, and these are our clothes, and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel, listen to this right here. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. It came about at the end of three days, just three days later, after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. In other words, they found out that they were the very enemies that they were to be going in and conquer, but now they are in a covenant and an oath under contract with them, if you will, in a peace treaty. Father God, we come to you. <coughs> we thank you so much, Lord God, that you're with us today. We thank you for the worship we've been able to engage in today and sing praises to you. We thank you for this church, and Lord God, we just pray, Father, that you continue to have your hand upon it. And Lord God, that each one of us individually make certain that we are the part of the body you've called us to be, Lord, that we're doing what you've called us to do, that our hearts are right with you, that we're leading, and God, we are serving in every way possible. Father, we just ask you to speak to our hearts today, Lord. We know God is, like I briefly mentioned, but God, we could spend all day talking about how right now the church, your church, that is supposed to be going out conquering the land, Lord, we are supposed to be going out, God, fulfilling the kingdom work, Lord God. And now, Father, so much of the church, those that are labeled as the church anyway, are out there making peace with the enemy, accepting things that, Lord God, you call sin, that are sin. God, living in ways that, Lord God, makes the enemy proud, but, Lord God, breaks your heart. So, God, I pray today through this message, through this, Lord, sin the Israelites made, Lord, as they entered in this covenant with the enemy, I just pray, God, today that we would learn from it to be able to go out, Lord God, and, Father, be able to avoid making the same mistake. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to see today is this, that the enemy comes deceptively. Y'all knew I was going to use that word as I talked about it, amen. But the enemy comes deceptively, doesn't he? He doesn't come in and just announce, hey, here I am, I'm here after you. 
Uh, man, sometimes it's very, maybe very evident, but the majority of the time the enemy comes very deceptively. He doesn't announce who he is. He doesn't come into a room and just say, hey, by the way, I'm against you and I'm of the devil and I'm here to conquer you. He doesn't do that, right? It's very deceptively. And we think about this today. We see this all through the passage. Of course, I want to draw attention first to verse 4 and verse 5. Uh, I didn't come in my truck today, so I'm here looking like, wait a minute. I keep saying I'm get a different, and I don't know why I don't. I've probably got one in my library that's got bigger words than that, and I just don't ever think about it until right now, right? But listen, verse 4, it says, They also acted craftily and sat out non-boys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys, wineskins worn out, torn and mended, all this stuff they're doing, man. They're, they're very deceptive. It was planned out, very deceiving here. And verse 5 says, And worn out and patched sandals on their feet, worn out clothes on themselves. All the bread that their provisions was dry and had become very crumbly. So they're very deceiving, aren't they? They planned all this. This is an act of deception. And so when I think about that today, I just want to kind of make three comments as I think about how the enemy comes in to seek to deceive us and how he's so deceptive. Number one, things aren't always as they appear. Things aren't always as they appear. In fact, one of the scriptures that, man, early on in my walk with the Lord that really just has really just kind of resonated with me, that's been something that I constantly remind myself of, the Holy Spirit constantly brings up in my life, is this. There's a passage in the Word of God that tells us this. Even His messengers referring to Satan appear as angels of light. Have you ever read that? Even the devil's messengers appear as angels of light. In other words, often the devil himself will even send messengers, folks working on his behalf, the enemy if you will, now, we want to reach them, obviously, but the enemy, if you will, coming in, appearing as angels of light. In other words, coming in deceptively, making you think that they're this, they're one thing and they're not. In other words, wolf in sheep clothing, right? They come in and they, they dress right, they say the right things, they even appear to be doing the right things, and the whole time, they're just deceptively working, seeking to destroy or hold back the kingdom work God's called us to do, Amen. I'll never forget, years ago, I was in Texas, I was serving as a youth pastor, and uh, we were a part of a youth gathering, there was about three or four different churches that were there, and I had never really been around any of those people there, so I didn't know anybody in the room, and all of a sudden, about midway through the gathering time, the fellowship time, uh, there's this young man that comes in, he was a young adult, he comes in and he targets me, he comes over and he begins to talk to me and he's throwing words out there about the Lord and stuff and I'm like thinking first of all, I'm like man this guy, man, that's like he's on fire, I shake his hand, we begin to talk, he gives me a card, I don't pay much attention to the card, he's talking, he's talking, well then the pastor of that church comes over and when that guy saw the pastor, he left, went out the door. And the pastor comes to me, he begins to tell me who he was and what pagan religion he was a part of. And I was just like blown away. I was like, dude, I spent probably a minute or so with that guy and he's talking and I'm thinking, man, this guy's going to be, because I was preaching that night, I was thinking, he's going to be in my amen corner. This guy's with us. Little did I know, he looked like he was with us, but he was sent by the enemy to deceive and man, I want to tell you today, Satan does that. Many of us all, I don't know about this church particular, but I can tell you many stories about churches where the enemy has sent in folks with just the sole purpose to deceive and get in and divide and do things to destroy the work of the Lord. So things aren't always as they appear. They looked like they had been on a long journey. Their clothes, 
their food, everything, man. How every detail, every wineskin, everything, man, was all a part of this plan of deception. So things aren't always as they appear. And then I want you to see this. The enemy always wants us to be deceived into thinking all is well. All is well. Isn't that today too? In fact, there's, there's preachers out there, I believe, that are with good intention, that love the Lord, that love the body of Christ, that want to tell everybody all is well. Now we know that on the other side of eternity, we know all is well. Amen? We know that we're on the winning team, that we are with Christ Jesus. Amen? We know that. That we know we are the victors, no matter what happens. We know that. But the fact of the matter is today, all is not well. Amen? All is not well. Um, we live in a generation right now, that's, that's what Satan is, I believe, doing in, in such a profound way right now, in sense soothing the conscience of man, making us think all is well, our lives are okay, we're okay, everything's alright, we just need to be happy, we just need to put our best foot forward, we just need to smile, we just need to think positive and make a bunch of positive statements, right? And all those things can be good, but we need to recognize all is not well. And most likely all is not well in our own personal lives, much less the church and especially the world around us. All is not well, amen? We need to recognize that. We don't need to do, be deceived into thinking that we're okay, the church is okay, and the world around us is okay. And I know a lot of that we can agree with, but often we get deceived into thinking that all is okay, don't we? We think it's all just fine. I've told you probably this story before, young man, years ago. Uh, I, I see this always, but this was one that just blew my mind. I'll never forget just sitting across from this young man who had been just caught in adultery. His marriage is falling apart. His life is filled with nothing but sin, and it's just terrible, crazy. And I'll never forget looking across the table at him, asking him, "What is there anything I can pray for you? Is there any area, something that you need prayer for? And this guy, I'm telling you, he believed it 100%. He looks at me with a giant smile of confidence. Man, everything's good right now. All is well, in other words. The enemy wants to deceive us into thinking that, doesn't he? That all is well. This group of the enemy of the, the, the devil who comes in to deceive the Israelites, that's what they were seeking to deceive them, to thinking all is well. This is all good when it's not. And the third comment I want to think on this sense of deceptiveness is this. You can't always go by what you see or feel. You got to go by the Word of God. Amen? Can't always go by what you see or what you feel. You got to go by the Word of the Lord. They knew they had a clear instruction by God that they were to go in and conquer the land, to, to even slaughter the people. Man, they were supposed to go in and take the land. That was the word of the Lord. But yet things looked right. Things even felt right to him, no doubt. Isn't that how he works often in our lives to deceive us, to bring in the sin of deception? deception? Things look good. Things feel good. How many times have you heard somebody say, on the other side of a sin, on the other side of a decision that did not honor, did not honor the Lord, on the other side of a decision that caused pain and anguish and heartache and frustration, but it just felt right. You ever said that? You ever seen that happen in someone's life? It just felt right. Well, we've got to make certain that we are standing on the word of the Lord. And you say, well, sometimes there's not a word to line up with the decision I'm trying to make. Well, you wait until you get a word from the Lord. Amen? You wait. And we're going to talk about this in a minute. It's going to be my last point. Three days later, three days, 
and they could have avoided this decision. They would have found out the truth. So the enemy comes deceptively. Number two, the enemy comes persuasively, doesn't he? The enemy comes persuasively. The deception part was really the seeing and, and the, the, what they, they appeared to be and everything else. But this persuasive part, I believe, is also the verbal, more of the verbal side. Listen to verse 6. Verse 6 here, it tells us this. They went to Joshua, to the camp of Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make a covenant with us. They were very persuasive. The enemy is very persuasive, isn't he? Not only does he come deceptively and the way he looks and the way he appears and, and his mannerisms and, and things like that, but there's also this way of persuasion. And, and I'm telling you, man, the enemy is so gifted and those that are lined up with the devil and in his will, they are able to put words together, persuasion and, and, and thoughts together to, to twist your mind and twist your thoughts. Have you ever looked back in, in years past, and it's happening today too, we just don't know all about it, but years passed from someone, maybe Jim Jones or David Koresh and all these religious folks that have went in and caused people good, I believe often God-fearing people who some of them may have been born again believers that he persuaded them to do things that were so crazy and psychotic and, and sad and nuts and everything else. You ever wonder how all that happened? Well, that was someone gifted by the devil with the gift of persuasion where they would use words to be able to twist people's thoughts and deceive them and cause them to do things that God obviously is not calling them to do. I, I, I'll never forget watching some of the Jim Jones story years ago, and I think this was possibly before I was even a, a, a child of God, and I remember as Jim Jones was chanting to the mothers to lay their lives down with their child when they were committing suicide. Persuasiveness. They, they come in right here, verse 6, with words of persuasion, right? And the enemy does that in our own lives every day too, doesn't he, if we allow it. So we see the enemy comes deceptively, he comes persuasively. And this next one here, I want you to see that the enemy comes with flattery. He comes with flattery. Listen to verse 9, notice what they start doing here. They said to him, your servants have come from afar country because, listen, because of the fame of the Lord your God, We've heard of the report of him and all that he's did in Egypt. There's this sense of flattery there, isn't it? Man, we're coming because man, we're just excited about what God's doing. We've heard of all that he's done. He, in other words, they're, they're, in, in that one sentence, they're trying to say how awesome God is and they don't mean it. They're trying to say how amazing he is. They don't mean that. There's this flattery going on. We've come from so far because we have heard about all this greatness. How good you guys are. How powerful y'all are. How awesome y'all are. It's flattery. And I want you to understand today that the devil uses that every day in our life, doesn't he? He knows exactly what the unhappy wife or unhappy husband needs to hear. You know that? He knows exactly what they need to hear. He knows exactly what to say to them. We just found out just a couple days ago... Some folks that we served with on staff, or not, they were members of the church, married for decades. And the husband's asking for a divorce right now. He's even saying God told him that, that he needed to divorce his wife so she could be happy. Is that not deceptiveness and persuasiveness? 
But I haven't been able to get on one-on-one with this guy. But I promise you, I guarantee you, I just about, I'm not going to gamble with my life, nor am I going to gamble at all, amen? But I promise you that there's a woman, when this man was off working out of town, who the devil told exactly how to flatter this man. And now he's leaving his wife. And I could give you more example after example after example through ministry where I've watched this take place. I can tell you about the girl uh, who's in Texas, this beautiful young lady, happily married, got her a personal trainer, and guess what? That personal trainer knew exactly everything she needed to hear. He flattered her and flattered her, and guess what? Next thing you know, adultery. And that happens in every area of our life, doesn't it? He knows exactly, the devil knows exactly what the drunkard needs to hear. If you're here today and you're struggling with alcohol, guess what? He's going to flatter you into thinking that you can just take one more drink, you can just do one more you know, shot, whatever. He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly what your flesh needs to hear. Things like, you deserve it. You've earned this. Enjoy your life. Enjoy this. Enjoy that. You're okay. All is well. Remember, he knows exactly how to flatter us. And that's what they're doing here when they come in and they bring up all the fame and all the things that God had done. They're they're not bringing that up to testify of God's power and God's goodness. They're doing that to just kind of flatter Joshua and their Israelites into being deceived and persuaded into signing this oath and making this covenant, right? And this is exactly how the enemy works in our lives too. And then fourth of all this morning, I want you to see that the enemy blinds us into believing him too, doesn't he? He often just blinds us spiritually into believing him. Notice, I go back to verse 7 again. Verse 7 says, The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps, listen, this was a, there was an act of discernment that took place. There's some discernment right here that they just kind of jump over. He voices the concern and then they just overlook it. They get blinded. It says, The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps... You are living within our lands. How then shall we make a covenant with you? And then if you jump forward to verse 14, verse 14 says this, So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Man, they were blinded. Totally blinded to what the enemy was doing. And doesn't he do that same thing to us? You ever heard this old saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? Man, it was right in front of them. And by, without a doubt, someone had some sense of discernment. They asked the question, well, what if you are our enemies living in, amongst us? And then the next thing you jump seven verses forward, and they're taking part of the provision and not seeking the counsel of the Lord. Totally blinded. Totally blinded. How often do we do the same thing? The enemy comes in deceptively, persuasively, throws a little flattery in, and then ultimately blinds us into doing what we shouldn't do. Acting in a way we shouldn't. Making decisions, maybe even life-altering decisions that we shouldn't take. I look back on my life, there was one point when I was still bivoca- well, bivocational now, that would have been the understatement of the world if I'd said I wasn't, amen. 
My wife knows it's been crazy. I, I hated bivocational ministry. I love doing ministry, but I hated being bivocational. God called me to full-time ministry. I'm jumping through the roof, and then he called me to evangelism and said I was going to be bivocational again. I'm like, God, what? Anyway, going, going back, jumping back, early on, I'll never forget. I was working. I was happy. I, I had a job. Uh, this is going to sound crazy to you because I'm sure I don't fit this part, but man, I was actually delivering dry cleaning. I was doing a home-to-home delivery service for a dry cleaning service, and I was you know, on commission base too. You'd build that up and everything else, and I was happy. And I'll never forget, a particular gentleman came into my path. He grew up with my mom. I'd met him a time or two. He's very successful, owned a business. And so he begins to talk to me. And, and I'm not, listen, I'm not saying this guy was, knew he was used by the devil or anything like I'm just telling you my part was totally spiritually blinded, made a decision I shouldn't have made. His intentions, he needed somebody to work for him. He needed help. He had a business. He needed somebody. He knew me, knew my family. And so listen, Satan used him. But as I say this, listen, I'm not saying he had ill intent. I believe he just needed somebody to work, somebody he could trust. So he begins to talk to me how he needed me to work for him, everything else, offered me just a little bit more money. And man, I'm telling you, through all that, the enemy's persuasiveness, the deceptiveness, me thinking this was going to be this awesome job, this awesome opportunity, exactly what I needed. I didn't ever console with the Lord. I was blinded. Never really prayed about it. I don't even think we ever said one prayer about it. And let me tell you, within moments when I entered that new job, I was like, what in the world have I done? And then that was probably one or two of the only jobs I've ever gotten fired from, even when I was lost. I'm you, it, it got bad quick. The, the good part of that story, because he and I, I'm talking about it, it got bad, because we were just like, I think maybe a bit of it. <laughs> and we butted heads bad. And I will say this and testify of the Lord. I went back under the Lord's leading um, maybe a year or so later, and sat down with him in his office and apologized for my part. But I'm telling you, man, I was so deceived, blinded, didn't consult of the Lord. And man, it was painful. Thank God for his mercies are made new every morning. Thank God for his forgiveness. But all too often, man, we just kind of think about that. And we think, well, his mercies are made new every morning. His grace is uh, stacked upon grace and all those situations and those hardships. So the enemy blinds us often into believing him, doesn't he? And then last of all this morning, I want to see this, that the enemy almost always wins when we make decisions in haste. Almost always wins, doesn't he? Verse 16 again, I've already mentioned of it several times. It came about at the end of three days, a 72-hour period. How long is that? Not very long at all, just like this. They made a co- after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. So if they would have just prayed for three days, if they would have just consulted with one another and most importantly God, they would have realized that they were about to make a crazy, unbelievable mistake and dishonor God and make a covenant with the enemy. Because let me tell you, and there's a whole message in this, but the covenant... And you'll see as you read on, they honored that covenant because a covenant back then was what it was, a covenant. It was a big deal. 
But if they had waited three days, if they wouldn't have made this decision in haste, because see, that's how Satan works all too often, isn't it? There's this urgency. We've got to have a decision. We've got to have a decision. We've got to know. I, I've dealt with pulpit committees all my life in ministry as a child of God and, and, and I'm telling you I've, I've struggled with urgency at times wanting just something to happen and then often I've been on the other side where search committees and, and, and you guys right now man I know y'all are in a place of urgency and you're ready for God's man and you're ready for God's will uh, and so you definitely don't fit in this case I know you're taking your time and everything else but often churches aren't that way and I can tell you right now there's two churches that I pastored that God man I watched God do extraordinary things do amazing things, and two of those churches right now are dead. I'm talking about went from 150 people down to maybe about 12 or 15 people, and I promise you this, I guarantee you this, right now, I, last night I, I was grieving with another, my friends that were in our house, they were a part of that church, man, and I grieved because I looked back, and you know what happened? They, within just moments, had another pastor in the pulpit. Without praying and seeking God's will, and that particular person, God, the enemy used to rip the church apart. And I'm telling you, I can picture two of my mind right now that it grieves my heart. But it was caused that sense that where Satan comes in and man, you just we got to do something right now. Man, it's urgent. Now there are things that are urgent in our life, right? There are moments of urgency where we've got to, God, I need some clear direction right now. I've got to do something right now. There's no doubt. But there's things in our life where we need to slow down. And, and, and just in this case here, 72 hours later, they would have saw the handwriting on the wall. They would have known. They wouldn't have entered in that covenant. And that's all too often how Satan works in our lives. Urgency. Well, come on, quick, quick, quick. Let's do it. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Just kind of flying by the seat of our pants. This decision, that decision, this decision, that decision. And the enemy uses that, doesn't he? To cause us to be right where he wants us rather than where God wants us. And so today I ask you the question, is there any areas of your life where the enemy is causing you to be at peace with him, his will, his kingdom, if you will? And as you think about that question this morning, and I know for me, I, I, there's so many areas of my life where I, I let just kind of shove to the side and act like they're okay, all is well. I deceive myself or allow the enemy to deceive myself into thinking it's okay, right? Well, maybe today the Holy Spirit's reminding you of some of those areas where you've been deceived and persuaded, blinded into thinking that, hey, that's okay, or your life's okay and it's not today. Or maybe even the greatest deception today for you is this, you've been deceived into thinking that you are a child of God, but you've never really been born again. And y'all know me today. Listen, I'm not here trying to manipulate someone or anything else, but I do want you to know that you know when you leave this place today that you really know Jesus, that you don't have just religion, you don't have just church membership, you don't have just some prayer that you're hanging on, but you have a life-altering uh, action that took place where you were born again, where Jesus really became Lord of your life, and, and He is your Lord today. I want you to know that today. Amen? And maybe today the greatest deception for you is that you've been a religious person for so long and you realize today the blinders have been taken off and you don't know Jesus. I don't know where this message hits your heart, but I just know that God has spoken today and we've got to respond. Amen? So today if you don't know Him, man, what a better place than right now to be able to give your life to Jesus today, to be born again. And for us that say, hey, I know Jesus, I know I'm a child of God, Man, what better way to be awakened and 
alert again to how the enemy is so persuasive. So, as it said today in the, in the New American Standard, craftily they came. He's so sly. He's not going to come in and announce, hey, I just want you to know I'm the devil and I'm after you. I'm going to conquer you, okay? I just want you to know that I'm after you. No. He's going to come in very deceptive, persuasively, flattering, blinding you until he gets you to make the decision to avoid God's will and embrace his, right? 